from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Happy to be here with you this morning and appreciate you tuning in to the show. Starting a half an hour back here because uh, we had a uh, some travel here going on, trying to get back up north to do what we got to do after being down here in Jacksonville, Florida to cover the Jaguars game going up against the Buffalo Bills. So thank you for your patience this morning. As we start the show at 9.30, typically you will hear us every single Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time right here on MixLR.com backslash DT. So thank you so much for tuning in to the show and for being a part of the broadcast and a part of the show every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And thank you for coming in this morning and hanging out. So... In the travels, uh, I like to uh, like to discuss a few things. You know, we've done shows on bullying, and I've done shows on you know different subjects within my travels, and you know Syracuse and fans going to the games or not going to the games and whatnot, and what that does for the team. So I spend a lot of time talking with you about a bunch of different things when we do shows like this. And you know, today I really just want to discuss the fact that. This has been an amazing and exciting and riveting and interesting end to the college football season and beginning of the NFL playoffs. So it's funny how the college postseason's ending and the professional postseason has just begun, and yet there's so much to be excited about if you're a football fan and so much to be thankful for. You know, this is very, very, very exhilarating. You know, this wasn't like, okay, somebody was just really a lot better than than another team, and that's how it goes, and that's it, and it's over, and who cares? And, you know, for me, this has been the coverage of it, you know, UCF and playing playing the way that he they played Auburn, too. Georgia coming into that game against Oklahoma and knowing that they have to play some defense and that Oklahoma doesn't play any and they just score a lot of points and then being able to outscore them in double overtime and then see how Alabama just silenced Clemson in that semifinal to where we were last night and the amazing, amazing play of Tua Tagovailoa, and you know, Tuo Tagovailoa, say that 20 times fast, a true freshman who's put in for the guy, Jalen Hurts, who has gotten you to where you are right now and has led you to that point to sit him and say, you know what, you're not cutting it for us. I mean, and this, I mean, this is Nick Saban's genius. It's his recruiting and it's his genius because he recruits these guys that can come in after not having to lead the team in any games this season, he throws them out there and says, okay, Tua, you got to win this game for us because Jalen's just not getting it done. And what does Tua do? He wins the game. Yeah, how, many, how many teams in America, how many teams in the world can say to 
the guy that they haven't leaned on and haven't needed to go out there and win these games this season, to turn and say to him, we need you to make this happen, we need you to win, and we're going to throw you out there right now in the biggest game of your life as a true freshman, we're not having you play against the team, we're not having you play against Mercer, but we're going to have you play against Georgia for all the marbles in the national championship, and the kid goes out there and wins the game. I mean, this is... This is history in the making. It's the uh, it's the amazing, amazing recruiting, like I said, of Georgia. It's the coaching of Nick Saban. And it's the fact that he just brings in kids that he sees something in, and he's obviously right. You know, it's hard to recruit, and it's hard to say, you know, you look at raw talent, you look at this, that, and the other, but leadership. The ability to step in in a high-pressure, high-octane situation and take care of business. There's a lot of there's a lot that goes into this. It wasn't just okay, you know, go out there, win this game for me. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. This is a very, 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 very emotional game. It's a tough game. It's a game that is not an easy thing to just go out there and do and go out there and win. And to me, to look at Tua Tagovailoa and what he did in this matchup was uncanny and no no moment more so than the moment where in overtime he gets sacked for a 16-yard loss and then gets right back to the line of scrimmage hikes the ball drops back and beams it down the field he took a shot to the end zone after taking a shot to the face i mean that that's not a true freshman to me it's a freak of nature and who does that i mean that's the thing who does that alabama does that right and i pick georgia and i'm not going to shy away from it you know me folks i pick who i pick i say what i say i stick by my guns and that's it i'm not that guy that's going to say oh i didn't pick them oh you heard me wrong oh that wasn't right i don't backpedal and i don't make excuses i pick georgia and tell me how you didn't think it was going to be Georgia throughout a good, good portion of that game, maybe 75% of the game, at least the first half. And when they were up in the first half, I said, I'm not going to celebrate my prediction because I know that there's two halves and I know they're playing Alabama. And I know that if I celebrate or I gloat or I talk any type of trash, nine times out of ten I lose. It's God's way of telling me to not be boastful. So... I'm just watching the game. I don't have a dog in the race. I just made a prediction. So I had I had Georgia in this game in a slight edge. I had him by a touchdown. And to see what Alabama did to be down 13-0 at halftime and then outscore Georgia in the second half in one overtime, 26-10. Down 13-0 and then outscore 26-10. It's a tale of two halves and a tale of two quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts led Alabama to a 13-0 deficit in the first half. Tuo Tagovailoa led Alabama to a 26-10 advantage that won the game in the second half in first overtime. You can't ask anything more of your true freshman backup quarterback who was not going to see the field until, you know, as a starter and whatnot until two years from now, Three years from now, next year at some point, depending on Jalen, 
to step up and step in, you, you, you really honestly have to applaud the coaching staff of Alabama and Nick Saban for just doing what they do to recruit how they recruit because whatever they see in these kids, it's, it's not, like I said, it's not just raw arm strength. It's not just the ability to throw the ball down the field or see when pressure's coming or be able to roll out and this, that, and the other or to know the playbook. These guys have ice water in their veins. That's what they do. Jalen Hurts has had to have ice water in his veins. He's had to hunker down and make it happen. To Otagavaloa, he had to do the same thing, but he had to do it in the national championship. Hey, buddy, your first game is the national championship, and he'll always remember that. He led Alabama to a national championship coming in as a replacement quarterback in the second half of the biggest game of his life in the first season that he ever played in college. How awesome and how few people can say, I was a true freshman, made it to the national championship with my team, and was asked to step in and be the leader in the 11th hour. Two Otagavaloa could say that. But you look at all the young guys on the field in this game. It was true freshman after true freshman after true freshman after true freshman. It's the young cat Hardman for Georgia. It's Najee Harris for Alabama. This was truly the true freshman bowl. And you talk about going to a team like Georgia or going to a team like Alabama and you think true freshmen aren't going to play because the guys that are there aren't going to give up their jobs and they're obviously really, really good and they were recruited well just like the guys coming in are. So they're going to have to wait their turn. They're going to have to wait two or three years. Well, no. In this game, it was true freshmen making big-time plays. Now, don't get me wrong. There was some vets that were out there making it happen too, but these true freshmen, they came to play. They came to play, they came to attack, and they came with a fervor and a fire and a desire that you look at and go, gosh darn it, these kids are 17 years old, 18 years old, and they're walking into my program and they have never been here before. Not never been to the championship, they've never played college football before. And I'm going to entrust in them the keys to the biggest trophy in America, in college football. And credit to both of these sides, those true freshmen, whether it was a Georgia Bulldog behind you or an Alabama Crimson Tide behind you, this group of true freshmen is uncanny. And if this is the future, because these guys have to be in school for another two years at least, watch out. Because these true freshmen were taking this game to explode and they got two more seasons, two more years of opportunity. And Georgia, I don't think, is going anywhere. And Alabama, you know damn sure. And I said it, I said it when the college football playoff committee put them in there as number four. I said, you don't invite Alabama to the party and think that they're not going to take over the karaoke booth. Right? You're a good singer, your friend's a good singer, this, that, and the other. But you invite Alabama to the party you know that they're going to go up on stage and they're going to sing and people are going to cheer more. No matter how good you are, they're going to cheer more for them and they're going to love it. They're going to enjoy that show. You invite Alabama to your bowling night, they're going to win the trophy. You invite Alabama to your fantasy football league, they're going to win your fantasy football trophy. 
If you invite Alabama to the party, Alabama is going to let you know that they are at the party. Make no mistake about Alabama. Invite them in, and those other three teams or other however many teams are going to be very sorry because Alabama is one of those teams that all you have to do is give them a flicker of hope, a flicker of a chance, and they will go to work. And that's exactly what Nick Saban did. Nick Saban, six championships. Six. He ties Bear Bryant. Six national championships. Insanity. Insan- it's, it's crazy. There's a reason why this man gets paid more than any other coach in America. And now that Jimbo Fisher fought for almost $2 million more, like seven and a half a year, he's close, but it used to be Nick Saban's at 11 and everybody else is five or less. Right? And now, I mean, Nicky Saban, you think about how much money, he makes more money in a year than some people will see in a lifetime. He makes more money in a year without any of his incentives or any endorsements or any of any of that. Nick Saban is a friggin' hero of Alabama. And it was nice to see him smile and run a little bit because he's got a Belichick way about him, right? He looks pissed off all the time, some, you know, a lot of the times. But to see what he did, you got to celebrate and you got to smile. You know, I always said with Jim Beheim. When he won that national championship, it was the first time I saw him smile, like an actual smile, not like, uh, you know, I'm about to rip this person a new you-know-what smile. But you got to take this time, and you got to appreciate it, and you got to enjoy it. I would not want to be in the locker room at halftime with Nick Saban. When he shut that door and locked that door, and I'm in, I'm in a, a room that's blocked off at all corners, and there's coaches making sure that I'm not escaping... The last thing I would want to do is hear him talk. And it would be the first thing that I probably want to be a part of. Because I don't want to hear him scream, yell, and call people out. But, at the same time, who's a better motivator than Nick Saban? I haven't been in his locker room. But six national championships and a chokehold on the college football playoff goes ahead and shows you what he's all about. So... That was a phenomenal game to watch. And even though I lost Chick-fil-A, I lost that bet, lost some bets out there, lost a steak dinner to my dad, it's tough. I owe people steak and chicken. I should have bet edamame and green beans. Notes for the future. But you couldn't ask for a better national championship. The game looked like it was maybe getting out of hand to some. I never believed that. I never believed Georgia was going to outright win the game, win the game, because you still had to play the second half. And you cannot count out, as you all know, you cannot count out Alabama. You just can't. And I just got a message that said, Roll Tide. Uh, that freshman has some stones to step in the way he did. Yeah. Johnny talking about Tua Tagovailoa. And he does. He's great. Player of the game, hands down. Absolutely. Sony, here's the thing though. Sony Michelle, why he didn't get the ball more in the second half is beyond me. And why Hardman didn't get the carries in overtime and they gave him to Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb didn't do anything yesterday. 
okay? I No offense to Nick Chubb. I know he's run like a beast, and he has over 1,000 yards this year. Nick Chubb did not do anything against Alabama last night. Sony Michelle did, and Hardman Jr., he friggin' freaked out at times. It's a freaking nature. He had the two touchdowns for Georgia. So if the man that's got the two touchdowns for you that's just running rampant on Alabama better than anybody else, your best weapon against Alabama, you don't give him the ball? I don't agree with any of Georgia's play calling in overtime. Run up the gut. Yeah, okay. Run up, run again. Yeah, okay. Stupid, stupid, stupid plays. And then he got sacked. And then you got to give it up to Blankenship, who hit a big-time field goal. Made it happen. Because Papanastos, he missed the one at the beginning of the game, which, if he had made it, and Alabama did all that other stuff, they would have won in regulation by three. And then they had an opportunity to win in regulation by three again, and he missed it. So he missed two big-time field goals, one at the beginning of the game and one at the end of the game. And Blankenship was getting it done. But when you get the ball and you're Georgia and you know you got to score, why, and this baffles me with teams all throughout history, they're like, who's that one guy that they've been killing us on today? Nick Chubb, cool, put him in. Who's the guy that's been getting the least amount of yardage of Hardman, Chubb, and Michelle? Chubb, cool, put Chubb in. Thinking in your head, well, he's just going to break out right now. He, he's been saving it all up for this one moment. Instead of leaning on the people that helped you get to the point where you were up 13 to nothing. That baffled me. It confused me. It made no sense. If you go back and you look at it, I look at the coaches and say, why in the hell did you run the ball twice with Nick Chubb in overtime when Nick Chubb couldn't get anything more than maybe four yards in regulation on a play? He didn't break any plays. He didn't break out in the open and stun anybody yesterday. He was quiet. The people that were loud were Michelle, and the loudest was Hardman Jr. So I go back and I look at Georgia, and to take nothing away from Alabama, I'm just calling it like I'm seeing it. I go back to Georgia and I go, um, yeah, not good play calling. Not the right thing to do at the end of the game. Ride the hot hands. Don't go back to the cold hand that used to be hot. You know, and, and it's and teams do this all the time. Well, Nick Chubb's our our workhorse. He's our big back. He's our guy. He gets it done. Nine times out of ten, he's the man. So let's go back to him because that's what our plays say, and that's what they call for. They call for Chubb in there. Switch him out, put in Hardman Jr. or put in Michelle. Because they were the ones that were able to break away from Georgia. Their speed was better, and the way that they attacked and the way that they got after it was a hell of a lot better than what Chubb was doing, which was really almost nothing. Alabama struggled to key in on some guys, but they keyed in on Chubb. And the the Ridley brothers, can we take a step aside to congratulate them? Riley Ridley and Kelvin Ridley playing up against each other, brothers that are both wide receivers, Riley Ridley with Georgia, who took over in the first half, and then Kelvin Ridley of Alabama, who made it happen in the second half. He got the score that tied the game. So, you know, there's a lot to be said about how 
those brothers played. And how amazing is that to be a parent of Calvin and Riley Ridley or a friend or a relative, niece, nephew, whatever it may be, to say that in the national championship you're not feeling really happy for Riley and sad for Calvin because one of them made it and the other one didn't. How often do two brothers from two different teams get to play each other in a national championship game? I will tell you, slim to none. When has Eli Manning and Peyton Manning ever played up against each other in a collegiate national championship or a professional national championship? Never. So to have moments like this are really amazing. You know, and the thing is, it was a tale of two halves. And with the brothers, it was no different. For Kelvin, he was the second half. For Riley, he was the first half. And that's what it came down to. It came down to the fact that one of them you could lean on for the first part of the game, and the other one came up in the second part of the game. Just like Jalen Hurts didn't do much in the first part of the game, and Tua Tagovailoa did it all in the second part and in overtime. If you watched the first half of this game and stepped away from it, like I know some of you had, saying, this game is over, you missed out. You missed out big time. And the line on this game was given three, three, three and a half to four, four and a half points to Georgia. They were putting Georgia up 3-0, 4-0 before the game even started. Starting route to Jacksonville International Airport. And with that being said, in three quarters of a mile, continue on to FL9B North. They gave the edge to Georgia, and the game ended 26-23. So the game actually ended on the line 26-26, so to speak. So it covered, right? And they thought that the combined points were going to be 45, and they were 49, so you beat the points. You beat the point on that. So to me, you know, this this game was very close. But the odds were in favor of Georgia. And the thought was that Georgia was going to make it happen and get it done. And for all intents and purposes, at the beginning of the game, they did that. But there came a time toward the end where they needed to make it happen, and they didn't do it. To their detriment. And, you know, they hurt me personally because now I have to buy Chick-fil-A and steak for other people. Good thing about it is I get to go to Chick-fil-A, so I'm going to get myself something. And uh, the steak dinner with my dad, we get to go to Texas Roadhouse. So I get to get that sweet bread and honey bun stuff. And I really like their salmon. And I really like their salad. So I'm going to go and ha- I'm going to have a nice... If I'm going to buy him dinner, I'm going to buy myself dinner. Got to make that happen. I'm not going to just buy and watch him eat dinner. That would be terrible. So... Hopefully you enjoyed the game last night, no matter who won or who you were rooting for, because that that national championship game, you know, I got to say the national, the college football playoff last year was kind of boring. Some of the games that were played, you know, Ohio State just got friggin' embarrassed by Clemson. 
And, you know, you look at, like, Washington's, you know, those type of teams going up against Alabama, and they just stand no chance, and it's just it's just boring. It's just really boring. So this was a great run, and maybe the best college football playoff I've watched from the semis to the finals. Maybe the best one that I've seen. So shout out to all the teams that were involved, Clemson, Oklahoma, Alabama, and Georgia. Shout out to the fact that Georgia and Alabama made me right. And shout out to Alabama. It took overtime for them to win it. And they uh, they made it happen, though. You know, and they got it done. So with the end of the college football postseason, we start the NFL postseason. And there's a lot of great matchups coming up this week. Tennessee going going up against the Patriots in Foxborough. Let me tell you something. If the Patriots overlook this team at all, and I'm not saying the Patriots aren't. Everybody thinks the Patriots are going to win. Like, why even play? It's like the Chicago Bulls or the Golden State Warriors. People are just like, why even play the game? Why? Because you know who's going to be there at the end. Well, you know what? I really honestly am looking forward to this in hopes that, you know, the NFL has continues their newness and keeps their newness going because of the fact that they have had these opportunities, eight new teams out of 12 in the playoffs this year. Two-thirds of the playoffs were new. There was only four returning teams from last year. And that, to me, makes it fun in and of itself. And you look at the matchup with Tennessee, you wonder where DeMarco Murray's going to be, but Derrick Henry has come on as of late. He may not be there the whole game, but he will be there for a touchdown. You look at Marcus Mariota, who threw a touchdown pass to himself, who I was, and I was proud to do that in flag football myself. I threw a touchdown pass to myself. I didn't know that I could. I was in this situation where I was a quarterback, obviously, and I threw, I threw the ball straight, and it got tipped straight up in the air. I looked at it, I got under it, and I caught it, and a bunch of the guys had shifted to the left side of the field, and one of the guys just kind of put his hand to his side and and beckoned me to just keep moving forward, and I ran in from five yards out. So I threw a touchdown pass to myself. Marcus Mariota did the exact same thing. Brad Johnson, when he played for the Minnesota Vikings, he did that as well. So... Big ups to them for what they did. If Marcus Mariota didn't throw a touchdown pass to himself, they would have lost the game. So, and that was another game. You talk about, you know, Georgia-Alabama and how Georgia was up 13-0 and then Alabama comes back 26-10 to after that. Well, in the case of Kansas City and Tennessee, Kansas City was up 21-3 at halftime and they lost 22-21 with 19 unanswered points against them. So, you know, there's some similarities there. Style of play was very different. I would, I think if Georgia or Alabama played the Tennessee Titans right now, they would beat them. And if they played the Chiefs, they would beat them because the Chiefs don't know how to hold on to any type of lead lately unless they're playing a team that's just not that good. So, you know, Tennessee, I think they're going to be overlooked. It's probably going to be 90 to 10, might even be more than that on uh, the chances that they would win. I think it would be, you know, maybe maybe 1%. It's got to be 90-something percent in favor of the Patriots this morning. 
And those are the games that you have to watch out for. Do I think the Patriots will ultimately win? I do. Why? Because how often do the Patriots lose their first game in the playoffs under Bill Belichick for that postseason, and how often do the Patriots lose in general? And I joke about it, but there is some truth to it. The you know, I said to beat the Patriots, you have to beat the Patriots and the officials at the same time, which is not an easy task to do. And I'm not trying to knock every official, nor am I trying to say that they're all bad. I'm just saying that things seem to work out for the Patriots almost 100% of the time. Almost 100% of the time. You know, people go back to the Jets game against the Patriots. They go back to the Pittsburgh game against the Patriots. There's something every season where you could take a step back and without nitpicking go, mm, was that really something that should have happened or does that seem like it was right or can we go back and look at the tape again? And it seems to always be a case when you're watching a Patriots game. It's when you go back and look at the tape, you might be a little bit uncomfortable with what you see. So, do I think that Tennessee is going to win this game? Chances are probably not. But Marcus Mariota, Eric Decker, Delaney Walker, Derek Henry, there's a lot of guys that are capable of scoring, but they have to make sure that they're not thinking, oh my God, I'm playing the big bad wolf. They can't get into that point of concern and worry. And Tennessee's been so up and down this year. You know, the way that they beat the Jaguars, nobody beat the Jaguars like that. 37 to 16. At home <laughs> in Everbank Field, mind you. So you have good games like that against an up-and-coming team. And then you lose to San Fran and you lose to Arizona. And you beat Jacksonville 15 to 10. You know, not a pretty game, but you got to look at the defense. The way that you beat Tom Brady, and I will say this over and over and over again because there's only one way to beat him. You have to hit him early and often. You got to shake him, you got to piss him off, and get him mad at his offensive line. You piss him off, you, knock, you hit the porcelain doll, is what I say. You knock the porcelain doll back on his keister a couple times, that porcelain doll is going to start screaming and peeing everywhere. And that's, I mean, that's how I see this. You have to rattle him. If you don't rattle Tom Brady early, if you don't get to him, if you don't pressure him and attack him, he will abuse the heck out of you all game long. You have to attack and attack often, and you have to be successful. And Tennessee's going to have to pull off an interception or two. they got to jump a route or go to attack Tom Brady, and Tom Brady throws a line drive, and they got to pick it up on the way to Tom, grab it, and take it back for six. That's how Tennessee wins this game. That's how they get this done. I don't think it's out of the question, and I know that Tennessee's pulled off some nice things in the playoffs before, which is why you don't let them in. When they get in, they're not an easy out. So for those of you thinking that this game is going to be out of hand, it could be 30-3. to It could be. It could very well be. Or it could be the other Tennessee shows up, and all of a sudden the game gets interesting, and toward the end of the game it's 28-23, and you're biting your nails thinking, oh, my God, how this actually happened. So don't count it out. Philadelphia and Atlanta, you know, there's, there's people thinking... 
because Philadelphia's got a backup quarterback, that there's no chance in Sam Hell they're going to win this game. Do people forget that Nick Foles was the starting quarterback for the Eagles before he was run out of town by the by the uh, former coaching staff? Nick Foles is just not some jamoke that isn't good enough to be a starter that was just thrown on a team as a backup in an emergency situation. Nick Foles is a guy that's capable of throwing four touchdown passes in a game. He's a guy capable of minimizing his mistakes, capable of knowing what to do in the pocket. And the thing is, it's not just that he used to be a starter. He used to be a starter in Philadelphia. He's on familiar grounds. He's on familiar grounds, and I think it's the best-case scenario for Philly is to go from Carson Wentz to Nick Foles. Because how many teams can say, oh, we're going to go back to the guy that used to be here that did some good things and surprised the hell out of me that they let him go? (laughs) So for me, if I'm a fan of Philadelphia, I'm not worried about Nick Foles being under center. Matt Ryan has been winning games because of his defense that's been stepping up and because he's done enough. I told you that week-by-week fantasy-wise, he's not the play for you because he's one touchdown to no interceptions or one touchdown to one interception. He's not four touchdowns. He's not five touchdowns. I don't think he's going to throw an insane, inorbitant amount of touchdowns. I think your best offensive player on the team right now for Atlanta is Devontae Freeman. By far. By far. Devontae Freeman is a beast of a weapon. And Tevin Coleman's a good accent to that. And Julio Jones... Julio Jones, man, every year he plays hurt. Every year he shows up on that injury report, and yet he goes to work. And he is dangerous. But you look at Philadelphia, Nelson Aguilar's been dangerous. Elshon Jeffrey's been dangerous. Torrey Smith has been dangerous. Zach Ertz is always dangerous. Jay Ajayi is brought into a team that had Corey Clement stepping up. On top of that, they had LeGarrette Blunt already being dangerous. Philadelphia, to me, is too stacked to lose right now. I think they're going to win the game. I think Philly's too stacked to lose. I think Philly can make mistakes. I think Philly can have a guy go quiet. One, two guys go quiet, and then they go, okay, you other four got to step up right now. They have depth. They have a lot of depth. And it's not that Atlanta doesn't have good players, but they don't have the depth that Philadelphia has. Philadelphia continued to win with Nick Foles in there. They didn't just crap it out and play like garbage. They held on to first place with a Minnesota team chomping at their heels every single second of the season. So, you know, people are worried, how is Philly going to win a Super Bowl without Carson Wentz? I think that they're at least going to get this game. And then you look at New Orleans going up against Minnesota, and this might be, next to Jacksonville-Pittsburgh, my favorite game of the week. Because New Orleans is never out of games. They're never out. Nor is Minnesota, as we have learned this year. And Minnesota has been one of the biggest feel-good stories of the season. If not for Minnesota, 
you call Jacksonville the best comeback team or vice versa. I mean, the both of them, as far as, I, th- I would think with Jacksonville, they're a bigger comeback team because they were 3-13 and last year and they haven't done anything in a long time. But both of these teams are very, very good. Very, very good. Defensively, oh my God. Jacksonville, if Jacksonville's in second place in the category, Minnesota's in first. Yards allowed per game, Minnesota's slight edge. Passing yards allowed per game, Jacksonville's in first. Points per game, Minnesota allows 15.8, Jacksonville allows 16.8. And there's a part of me that believes that this is going to be your Super Bowl. Jacksonville against Minnesota in Minnesota. Which works out for Minnesota because the home team gets to play at home because they just so happen to be picked because they got a new stadium with the U.S. Bank Stadium. After, remember that snow? They collapsed the roof of the stadium that everybody was saying that they needed to replace and get rid of, and they, and it was just like not happening, not happening. It was like, when are they going to replace this? Then it caved in, and then you have no choice. And sometimes Mother Nature dictates to you if you're not going to make it happen. I always say, if God tells you to do something and you don't listen, he continues to put his hand in, and if you still don't listen, you're going to feel that hand pretty quick. And, you know, I feel like that's what happened. And I'm driving down here in Jacksonville right now, and there's a Go Jags sign that somebody drew and put a paw right up on the highway. It's pretty awesome. Pretty cool. So the other thing that's crazy, and I'll talk about it in a second about Jacksonville. Let me, let me, let me finish a Minnesota here. Let me not change up and finish my thought. So with uh, the Minnesota Vikings, I fully think that they can make it to the Super Bowl. They're one of the teams I feel the best about. And I think New Orleans is going to have to come to play. If New Orleans wins this game, I know New Orleans is the four seed and Minnesota is the two seed, but New Orleans never really feels like totally like an underdog. I'm telling you right now, if New Orleans wins this game, then they are the underdog that, that took one away. Because Minnesota and you know, a few years ago, about three years ago, I think, I saw Case Keenum play for the Houston Texans in a backup role. I think he was the third-string guy, second- or third-string guy. And he played well enough for me to go, I kind of like this guy. And I feel like people back then would have thought I was nuts. And then, you know, I saw him play after that, and I was like, wow, you know, maybe I was wrong because he's not playing that well. Then he goes to Minnesota, and all of a sudden, he looks like what I saw in Houston times three. He's playing very well. He's playing extremely well. He is a pain in the butt to play. I would not want to play him at all, ever, this season. Big shout-out to Case Keenum. Minnesota chomps at the bit for first place in the NFC, gets second place, and has a bye in the playoffs through the first round and home field at least in the second round, this divisional round. And they did it without Dalvin Cook, their starting running back, without Adrian Peterson, who had been sent out of there, and when he was there, wasn't what he used to be, and without Sam Bradford. How about this? Let's have him have some fun with this one. Here's a little nugget. Minnesota and New Orleans will play up against each other as the two teams that both housed Adrian Peterson and both got rid of him within less than a year's time. 
you know, and I'm happy that New Orleans parted ways with Adrian Peterson because Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram were a good working system, and you don't want to mess with that system. And I feel like having Adrian Peterson in your locker room, the way that he looked like he was on the sidelines, and being a former starter and probably had an ego and was frustrated, you don't want to put that in your locker room. And I kept saying over and over again, if you're New Orleans, you got to be smart enough to part ways with New- with Adrian Peterson before he becomes a problem and messes with your good thing that you got going with Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara because you don't want anybody to shake the tree when everything seems to be working out pretty nicely. And, you know, kudos to Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara for carrying the team as much as they did this year and taking the pressure off of Breezy, but Kamara and Ingram got to step up. That game that they just won against Carolina, they didn't look good. They didn't look good at all. They combined for 45 yards, I think, total, 22 and 23. They had 45 yards rushing combined, where these guys can sometimes combine for like 180, 170. And you're playing against Minnesota, who has arguably the best defense in the country with Jacksonville. So I got Minnesota winning this game. As much as I like New Orleans and they're fun, and I thought that they could potentially sneak up and give you a second Mardi Gras by getting to the Super Bowl somehow, some way, and you know, bringing everybody back to those days where they beat Peyton Manning when he was with the Colts. I this season am like they could sneak back up, and then everybody could be like, "Wow, the stories being written are like New Orleans never went away because they go to the playoffs pretty consistently." And if they snuck to the Super Bowl this time around, people would point back to that win against Peyton Manning and go, look at how good they played over the years here. Then all of a sudden, sins are forgiven. I think Minnesota's winning this one, though. And the Jacksonville side of it, to finish things up here, you know, I go to the stores, you know, and see what kind of Jaguar stuff they have. And last season, Target had, like, nothing because they couldn't sell it, you know? There was no point in them having Jaguar stuff because I guess it wasn't selling. The team was 3-13. and They had been struggling under Gus Bradley a lot, and there was a lot of frustration. And people were getting fed up. So I come down to Jacksonville. I go into Marshalls and Target and Walmart and this and that, and you can hardly find any Jacksonville stuff and not a lot of good stuff. Well, a couple months ago, I go into Marshalls, and there is an entire section, more than I've ever seen, probably in multiple stores combined, I know that for a fact, of Jacksonville stuff. There were like five different hoodies, t-shirts galore, long sleeve shirts, shorts, pants, mugs, glasses, salt and pepper shit, like stuff like that. Uh, Phone cases. Pillows. I went in there a couple weeks later, and the entire display was gone. I went in there yesterday, down in Jacksonville area, and there was a Jaguars pair of pants. No shirts, no hats. No sweatshirts, no shorts, no t-shirts, nothing. Nothing. 
it's amazing with one with with one year passing what a team can turn into. Two, we don't have it stocked because we don't want to carry the inventory that nobody's going to buy. Two, we can't stock it fast enough. And I went into Target and I'm looking at the display and this lady runs over to me and she goes, I have a few new shirts in here if you want to check it out. She's like, I can pull them out right now. And so she was doing her job quicker because she wanted me to be able to see what shirts they had. So she's like, I can get these shirts out so you can see what shirts we got. You know, just kind of throw them up there for you. And let me get the hats out and let you look at the hats and let you see what they got and this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, I commend her. First of all, she deserves a raise at Target because customer service sometimes I feel like is a foreign language to people. And yet this woman was like, you know, I feel like most people would have just left them in the box and been like, yeah, this guy's looking at the Jaguar stuff, but... We don't need to put it up right now because I'm kind of lazy and I want to take a break because I've been here for 10 minutes and I obviously have worked too hard in 10 minutes and I need to go sit in the back for 37 minutes and take a nap and hope to Jesus that they realize I didn't punch out so I get paid for this. This lady was the polar opposite. It was, are you finding everything you're looking for? Let me see if there's anything in here that you might be looking for. And I want you to see literally every Jacksonville product we have before you do anything because you deserve to know everything we have in stock because you do and I feel like it and I said so so to the lady that was tasked with and I didn't catch her name to the lady that was tasked with having to do the Jaguars display yesterday at Target like midday like early afternoon like let's say noon 1230 go check who she was if the manager is listening, go see what name you had scheduled to do the Jaguars display, and please, on behalf of me, boost her up and give her a nice 2018 raise, because the woman deserves it. Because her customer service was better than like 19 people put together that I've met. So shout out to her for the work that she did, and it was great. But yeah, I mean, it, what one season can do, one year can do, not even a year. To be down in Jacksonville, walk in the stores and you can't find anything because they don't want to carry it. To they don't have much anything because they've sold it all. I'm not kidding with you. When I went in there and there was all that Jaguar stuff in Marshalls, there, it, I'm, I'm literally like eye to eye, person to person, telling you the truth. There was probably 80 pieces of clothing in there. You know, bare minimum 60. They are all gone, except for like two pairs of pants. They're gone. The fans are in it. In it to win it. And they're going to Pittsburgh, where Jacksonville won in the regular season 30-9. to So they have the blueprint to do it. And allegedly, Ben Roethlisberger said that he wanted Jacksonville. He wanted to play him. Because he lost to him. And he threw five interceptions that day and no touchdowns. So he said, give me Jacksonville again. Let's go. Hootie hoo. And be careful what you wish for. Now, Pittsburgh's defense has been known to be the steel curtain and be really awesome. Jacksonville's defense has been this up-and-coming thing that you maybe overlooked last year, but you can't this year. Because if you play fantasy football, they either beat you or you beat people because you had the Jacksonville defense. So... 
understand that there's a buzzsaw with Jacksonville. If their offense can do what it needs to do, and they have proven on offense, I mean, they won this game 10-3. to It's a first-half score. It's a first-quarter score. They won that game 10-3, to and people are like, well, what was the score at the end of the game? That's the first half. No, that's the score. Jacksonville played a very, very strong defensive outing, did not allow a single point to be scored by Tennessee, or Tennessee, by Buffalo in the second half and never allowed Buffalo to get into the end zone even once. And I'm going to have a lot to say about Jacksonville coming up this week, and so are the nine players that I interviewed. That'll happen tomorrow, and I will be with you tomorrow. So listen in tomorrow morning from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, starting off with On the Prowl, Jacksonville Jaguars coverage, proudly presented by Wake Up Call with Dan Tatora from down in Jacksonville, speaking with the team one-on-one. You will hear those interviews tomorrow. We will discuss more of the NFL and Syracuse. I'm going to get to your comments coming off the weekend and Syracuse's blown game that they played at home inside the Carrier Dome. Just a, Just a very concerning performance by the Syracuse Orange. We're going to discuss that. A lot of you have weighed in on social media. I asked you to leave your comments on Facebook at Wake Up Call DT and on Twitter at Call DT, and you have. And so I'm going to make sure that we discuss those and share those with the community tomorrow morning after the Jaguars share with you their thoughts in my one-on-one conversations with the offense, defense, and special teams representatives. Can't wait to have you listen tomorrow. So make sure you're on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt Wednesday, January 10th, and every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And make sure that you are also liking the page on Facebook at wakeupcalldt, on Twitter at calldt, follow me there, and Instagram at wakeupcall underscore dt. In the meantime, become a member of mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. And bring yourself over to Muddy Waters, who's starting a new barbecue buffet. Nothing like it. In the south there is, but up in Syracuse there is not. So make sure that you make your way over to Muddy Waters on 2 Oswego Street in the village of Baldwinsville. And see us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to play game show night. And definitely make sure that you're at Sammy Malone's upstairs from Muddy Waters tonight as I bring trivia back to Baldwinsville. Wake Up Call Live Trivia has returned to Baldwinsville, and its first night is tonight. So make sure that you're out there playing with us. Put your team together and call... Sammy Malone's at 315-635-5407. That's 315-635-5407.